0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood, a podcast where we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Durfee, and it's my pleasure to introduce my partner in this project, our teacher, brother, David Durfee.
1: Thank you, Scott. so nice
0: to be
1: able to talk about these uh, sacred uh, points of doctrine concerning
0: our Savior and Redeemer. We've got some really uh, great stuff to talk about once again today, but... So let's just take care of a couple of things real quickly here. First off, I just wanted to give thanks to everybody who's been sending us emails or texts or whatever. He redeems us at gmail.com. That is he redeems us at gmail.com. Again, we encourage your questions and comments and appreciate them very much. And speaking of questions and comments through he redeems us at gmail.com. This is a letter that we got. This is one of our uh, uh, listeners, Dave, that... uh, sent this to us after one of our sessions on the fall of all. And this person writes the following. I learned so much and honestly feel so liberated and hopeful. I've realized much like others, I'm sure, that my focus and understanding and identity as a child of God was misguided and misunderstood. I've always focused much on working towards perfection and eliminating all in my humanness and weakness and being resentful at my afflictions and shortcomings and feeling so much worry and anxiety because I just can't seem to get it right, ever. I now feel like I'm kind of starting to, in quotation marks, get it. And that is certainly taking a bit of a load, so to speak, off of me. I know I need to continue to learn and improve. But now I feel like I can stop focusing on getting getting it right and instead focus on putting on the atonement of Jesus Christ. Anyways, thank you.
1: Uh, Isn't that awesome, Scott? I, I love that communication. And I actually know who that person is and love her. And um, I'm so thankful that she would share that with me. And I had someone else call me that's close to me and share with me that they had never considered ever thanking God, our Heavenly Father, for the fall and for their weakness and kind of how liberating that was for them, that he he made these things Uh, Not only possible, Scott, but essential in our lives, meaning mortality, the fall, sin, and weakness is all part of what not only he knew we would experience, but what he wanted us to experience in order to really not only experience opposition in our life because of the law of opposition of all things, but to also strengthen us. I love how Paul describes in the New Testament that out of weakness I am strong. And the reason he can say that is because shortly before and after he bears testimony that his weakness allows him to focus on a Savior and Redeemer whose atoning sacrifice can strengthen him. And I know that God gives unto man weakness, as Moroni taught, in uh, Ether chapter 12, that man, man was given weakness by, by loving God and that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, by humbling ourselves, relying and depending upon upon a Redeemer, that weak things can be, come strong. None of us are good enough. None of us can do enough in this life to be able to earn redemption. We, we believe in a gospel of redemption, not assimilation. It is not about putting on perfection. It's about putting on Christ. That's what we should be focused on. And today, I'm thankful we can talk more about the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ.
0: Thanks for your letters. Thanks for your emails. Uh, thanks for your correspondence. We're really grateful for those. And, uh, you know, maybe we could do that. Maybe I could just invite our listeners, those of you who would be willing to, would you mind just sending us an email and just letting us know that how being thankful for the fall of us all has, and being, really being able to embrace that. Maybe you could just share with us some experiences in your own life, how that, that change in thinking or that change in approach in your lives has changed you or maybe made things better or more understanding, or easier to deal with. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that'd be awesome. Again, he redeems us at gmail.com. We'll protect your identity, of course. But uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, sending that, we'd appreciate that. So again, encourage also any other questions. We've had some great questions. Over past weeks, we've had some great questions. If you have questions, don't hesitate to send those to us. We'll do our best to get to those as well. So we uh, just concluded, Dave, a a great uh, segment last week. podcast, uh, as we begin to talk about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we ended, I believe, with a quote from C.S. Lewis about how being Heavenly Father and being Jesus Christ, in fact, it was specific to Jesus Christ, but how being Jesus Christ and being perfect and going through what he did actually helped increase his understanding of the turmoils, the torments, the transgressions, the sins, all everything of this world because of his sinless life, we spent a great deal of time uh, talking about his sinless life, that because of that, that allowed him to succor us more fully, which was just one component of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, as we start moving into more of the traditional thinking, the more when we think of the atonement of Jesus Christ, typically, if I were to say to somebody in my Sunday school class, say, uh, what do you think of when you think of the atonement of Jesus Christ? Inevitably, three things are going to come up. We're going to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to talk about the cross and Golgotha. And we're going to talk about the garden and the resurrection. Those three, among other things, but those three things will be common denominators every time we say, what are we going to talk about when we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ? So today, we're going to start focusing, Dave, on the events for the atonement of Jesus Christ as we move into uh, those types of things. So where do we start
1: well, so the the sinless life was our last uh, our last episode, and I want to just remind everyone, not only does it allow him to to succor us, but we should feel greater compassion, love, gratitude for him, for what he suffered in his temptations. It just it softens my heart when I think about this holy innocent, pure being, Jesus Christ being attacked by Satan and his legions. There's just something about that that gives me greater greater compassion and love for Jesus and, and uh, helps me to feel closer to him and to strengthen my relationship with him and to trust in him more because I know that all the temptations I suffer, he suffered and even more. Uh, So let's move from there, Scott, from his sinless life to the last week of his life.
0: Dave, before you do that, can I just interrupt you real quick? There's something that's come to my mind I think that I need to just say. Uh, you know, as we uh, start moving into these types of things, we, re- we we need to remember, and I really believe we do need to remember this. In uh, our first few episodes, we spent a great deal of time on our identity. And we talked about how important it is that we spend time with Him, uh, Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father through the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, that we spend time with them so that we can know them. We talked about familial relationships. I, re- I-, I recalled and related, stories about your father, my grandfather, and how I knew him. And because I knew him and was close to him, I knew a lot of how he would behave. And i still sometimes today draw on what would grandpa say or what would so-and-so say that I knew before. That knowing, though, required a big investment of time on my part. I needed to spend time with him. So this is, this is my invitation. As we start to move into the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ, this is my invitation, that we take this opportunity to really get to know him there. We've gotten to know him through his ministry. We uh, have gotten to know him through his teachings. But let's really get to know him in this scenario, in this situation, because knowing him here will save us forever. Uh, And and so, Dave, having said that, didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I think that was an important thing for me to at least put out there.
1: No, thank you, Scott. Hopefully... As I mentioned in our last episode, our, our readers will take some time, I'm, I'm really, it would be my greatest desire that the purpose of these podcasts are to help our readers to be uh, more interested or motivated to uh, move into the scriptures and to study some of these uh, events and uh, points of doctrine for themselves. Well, the last week of Jesus' life be- began when he comes to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which I believe he did every almost year of his life. Um, we know Mary and Joseph took him there when he was 12, and, and maybe he did that every year of his life. We, don't, we just don't have any record. We know that in his ministry we have two of the three years recorded that he went to Jerusalem and I think he did all three years, it's just not recorded. But this is his final year, and he goes to Jerusalem in the spring of the year, probably the beginning of April sometime, and he goes there to celebrate this great feast of the Jews we call Passover, which uh is of course, as we're studying the Old Testament, most of the church is familiar with Passover and what that means, that the Jews, as slaves in, in Egypt, were counseled by Moses that if they would put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, that the destroying angel would pass by them. That's what Passover really means. That's what it celebrated. And all of that was to point toward, to be a type and, and a shadow and symbol for Uh, Jesus Christ and the Lamb of God and how his blood would allow the destroying angel, Satan, to pass us by or how the blood of the Lamb would save and redeem us as children of God. So he goes to, to Jerusalem to celebrate this. Stays in Bethany in in the evenings with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, their family, his disciples. Uh, We know that his mother Mary is there and several friends. And he goes back and forth each day. Wednesday, he probably stays home and stays close to his family all day. And then it's on Thursday that he goes into Jerusalem to actually participate in the feast of the Passover and participates in what is known has become known as the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. We talked about this when we described the events of Easter week, Scott, uh, when he washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas, and uh, gave them um, some of the best teachings of Jesus were saved, I think, and it's gratefully recorded by John. During that uh, that meeting or that Last Supper, Judas leaves. The betrayer's been identified, and he's left. And they sing a hymn, and then they leave the upper room and walk through the streets of Jerusalem. They walk outside the city gate of Jerusalem. So now they're outside the walls of Jerusalem.
0: What time of day are we talking here?
1: This is uh, nine o'clock at night. So it'd be dark. Dark.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Would it be dark? And it, it, what time of year? would be about springtime. Yep. So uh, the temperature would be cool, probably a cool, dark evening. And
1: they they walk outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, and they walk across the little Kidron Valley, and uh, to the base of the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city, and uh, where there are olive trees, and where there was a garden called Gethsemane, where there was probably a press, an uh, oil press, a press that would crush the olives, and the olive oil would ooze out of these this huge vat that, where stones would be used to crush the olives, including the pits. And this olive oil, olive oil is such a great symbol. The olive leaf is a symbol of peace, and olive oil is a symbol in the scriptures of light. That's the source of their light from their their candles that they would use. And it's a source of healing. Olive oil was a great source of healing. So this was, this was a place, I believe, uh, Scott, where Jesus must have uh, frequently visited. Every time he was probably in Jerusalem, I think he possibly went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He contemplated what would happen there at the end of his life. He, he might have prayed. It must have been a beautiful little spot where he was uh, secluded, uh, where he could have some uh, solitude and where he could meditate and pray. And this night he would pray, but there would be no solitude. There would be no there would be no real peace for Jesus this night in Gethsemane. He um, leaves Peter, James, and John. Uh, it's recorded as stones cast away. So maybe uh, I don't know. You can throw a stone further than I can, mm-hmm. Scott. But maybe fifty yards, and he goes further into this garden and. It's recorded in Matthew. I just, I think I, I want to maybe read this, is that this is the way Matthew records it. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face. That's pretty descriptive of how sorrowful and heavy it already was for him uh, as he contemplated what would happen there that night, that he would begin, I stress the word begin, to take upon himself the sins, the addictions, and all of the negatives
0: all the pain all the sorrow all of the separation everything that was because of the effects of the fall
1: you imagine how heavy no. he felt as he fell on his face so in that in that state and he three times he prays, he goes back to his disciples, they're sleeping, he goes back again and prays, and then he goes back to his disciples, they're sleeping. So he actually offers three different prayers. Luke records in, in Luke 22 that he knelt. So in in one of the prayers he kneels, and as, as Matthew describes it, he fell on his face. He's laid out in this particular prayer in Matthew. And he prays, and, and his prayer... Consistent in the gospel writers, the one common line they all use is that he cries out, if there be any other way, if there be any other way. I, I, I wanted to read what how Mark describes the uh, the words of his prayer, how poignant, how personal, how tender his prayer is. This is in Mark chapter 14 verses 32 through 36 They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Gethsemane Scott means it's an Ar- it's an Aramaic word that literally means oil press. So there must have been an olive oil press there and that's where it gets its name and as you think about the press and the sins of all the world pressing upon him, and him literally being crushed, Scott, and hope and healing and light oozing out as his blood oozes out of of every pore, which we'll talk more about in just a minute. But he goes to Gethsemane, this is back to Mark, and he saith to his disciples, "'Set ye here while I shall pray,' And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and begin to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. This is precious, um, this record that Mark gives us, that he prays Abba, Father. Abba, of course, is the really most intimate title for father, really meaning in our vernacular, daddy. Crying out to his daddy. And cries out, if if there's any way possible, take this cup, this is the bitter cup, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. I think I think about that verse a lot, Scott. When I'm in the temple, when I'm in the temple, and those who are maybe who are listening who have been to the temple, if they think about the ordinances of the temple and the, the the symbols of the temple, I think of a cup. I always think of this verse: the bitter cup, nevertheless. Uh, take take away this cup from me. I I don't know. I think about that, Scott, and how sweet that is to see the submission, the humility, the obedience, ultimately the love that Jesus has for his Father, that his will was swallowed up in the will of the Father, and that ultimately his his love for us, that he would uh, uh, not try to
0: escape this, but go through go through it. So as we uh, begin to get into these kinds of things, and we're well into it, we're not just getting into it. We're well into it at this point. It occurs to me that as we look back to our episode just prior to this episode, and we talked about his life, his sinless life, and what it would have been like to... Uh, know him then to uh, all of the potential things that were difficult for him to go through for his challenges, his trials. We talked about uh, losing uh, Joseph prior to his ministry, probably. We talked uh, who would have been his stepfather, obviously, probably very close. All of the trials and struggles of his life were actually because of and for what was about or what is now taking place. So, you know, everything that Jesus has gone through has led him to this spot. So where he's, he's now able to not just sucker, but here's where, Dave, he really starts to begin to carry the weight and pay the price of sin that, is an, that we're unable to pay for. Not just sin, but all of those other things, right?
1: This is where the ransom and reconciliation of God really begins, Scott, where Jesus purchases us with his blood. The title of our podcast, Redeemed Through His Blood, um, Acts chapter 20, Christ purchased us with his blood. This is where that ransom purchasing, purchasing us really, really begins. And I want to read from the account that Luke gives us. Where he begins to talk about the blood of the atonement. Um, this is Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read 39 through 44. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. That's, that's an important verse. Uh, Luke, Luke is the one who records that uh, an angel came to strengthen him. Elder McConkie, in a conference report several years ago in in, uh, 1984, uh, said that uh, Adam would have been that angel, the archangel. Adam, Michael, would have uh, been the angel who came to strengthen Jesus in his hour of need in Gethsemane. But listen to verse 44, Scott. And being in an agony... He prayed more earnestly. More earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I know again we talked about this during Easter week, but as as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we should be so grateful for the revelations of the restoration, that uh, we know that Jesus bled from every pore. Now, that's what the way King Benjamin describes what happens in Gethsemane as an angel and describes the atonement, and in vision, he sees Jesus in Gethsemane. And uh, King Benjamin says, this is Mosiah in the Book of Mormon, chapter 3, verse 7. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer. We talked about that last week. Except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh From every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. No other Christian church denomination believes that Jesus bled from every poor. That's only two places in the scriptures, here in in Mosiah chapter 3 and in Doctrine and Covenants section 19. So when Luke records... And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, like great drops of blood falling to the ground. As it's worded uh, here in the Bible, it says his sweat was like blood. And most other Christian denominations believe that he was, this is what one minister told me personally, when I asked him about what was really happening in luke twenty two forty four a certain minister uh, described to me that he was sweating profusely, thinking about his suffering and death the following day on friday and i I said, "So you don't think he's sweating blood?" and he said no I've had uh, other ministers tell me that maybe there were a few drops of blood that was mingled with his sweat because of the anguish that he was experiencing in Gethsemane. But no one, Scott, believes and understands that Jesus bled from every pore. So great was his anguish for his people. In fact, Joseph Smith in the Joseph Smith translation changes Luke 22, verse 44, and it should, and it should read, and he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He changes the word sweat from a noun to a verb. It's not that his sweat was like blood. According to Joseph Smith translation, he sweat blood from every pore. Yeah. Well, This blood, this this is is such an important part of the atonement that for centuries before, the sacrifices, blood was the center of all the covenants that were made with God and all of the sacrifices of lambs and animals and the shedding of blood was pointing to this event as well as to what would happen on the next day on the cross and the scourging and everything else that happened in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, uh, pointing to him giving all of his blood, and I maybe believe that's literal, that because he was a god, he could choose to die anytime he wanted. Most people could have never survived uh, Gethsemane let alone this, the scourging and the cross and everything else that went with it. But Jesus literally, I believe, bled out in Gethsemane, scourging on the cross. This was a bloody sacrifice. All of it had been foretold, prophesied, everything in the law of Moses, and even before with even Adam and Eve, when they sacrificed, when they were commanded to sacrifice a lamb on the altar, and the angel told them, "This is in similitude of the only begotten Son." This is the beginning of that bloody sacrifice and the reconciliation and ransom of God for man.
0: Well, so Dave, there's there's. So much of this that has to do with and is directly associated to the blood sacrifice. Uh, so what you know last week and i don't mean that disrespectfully and i don't mean it to be irreverent at all but but we do need to identify the so what part of this last week we really talked about you know all of this is important and good and you shared that uh, as you taught institute that you would say okay now so what so can we do that now so what's the importance or what's the significance how does this apply to us
1: Well, I think it's really important that we understand the um, Middle East kind of symbol, and this is true of all other cultures as well, Native American cultures and others, of of the symbolic significance of blood. And the importance of understanding that this, that blood was seen as the fountain of life. You know, we see it in our culture differently. We we see it as as more like a symbol of of death, and and I know it can symbolize that too. Loss of blood can symbolize death, but they saw it the the shedding of blood as a symbol of life, a symbol of starting over, a symbol of the beginning. As they sprinkled blood on on the altar, as the Priests sprinkled blood, splattered blood on the people, as he s- sprinkled blood on the ark of the covenant. All of this was symbolic of a new beginning of life, a spiritual life, a physical life. All of it pointing, of course, we know, to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, the Jews had, had I think, lost the significance of that and didn't really understand because of going beyond the mark what happened that last week of Passover or the week of passion in the life of Christ. but nevertheless, blood was a, a symbol of life. It was also a symbol of a covenant. we, 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 we read in it really uh, Exodus or I'm sorry Genesis chapter 15. in Genesis chapter 15, when God makes an a covenant with Abraham, the, the real word there means, the, the Hebrew word means, he cut a covenant with Abraham. There was blood associated, a mingling of blood associated with the covenants that Abraham and Israel throughout the history of the Old Testament made with God This mingling of blood, this this is a the most sacred form of a relationship. You know, the Native Americans would call it blood brothers, or they would cut themselves and shake hands. And so, this this symbolism is is really been uh, throughout so many cultures, and it was the center really of the of the Jewish culture for. Uh, thousands of years. And now Jesus is the fulfillment of that, of cutting a covenant. And even in the Last Supper, you know, he tells them, Take this and eat. This is my flesh. And take this cup and drink. And this is my blood. This new and everlasting covenant of taking into ourselves his blood, Scott, is reenacted every sunday in our sacrament meetings do we do do you think that we understand the significance of drinking that and mingling his blood taking into ourselves symbolically his blood everything centers around that when it comes to this uh, atonement
0: there's uh, several scriptures dave that talk about the cleansing effect of the blood yes expound on that for us a little bit, will you? So how does the blood, and and I think that we understand it maybe from a uh, conceptual, the cleansing, but can you explain it to us? Well, medically, medically,
1: there's, I'm I'm not a doctor, far from it, and I wouldn't be an expert at all on this, but medically, Scott, blood carries all of the impurities out of our system. Uh, it, it carries the impurities from the lungs, uh, the air, it, 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 from the kidneys, from uh, uh, everything about our blood that, that runs through our circulatory system is to take out impurities. Uh, blood is the cleansing agent of our bodies, literally, medically. It is also the key to our healing Blood symbolizes cleansing. Blood symbolizes healing. So that's further, I think, why this had to be a blood sacrifice, that Jesus would bleed from every pore. And then later, in the scourging and on
0: the cross, even even more. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, here we go. This this takes us right back to you know some of the beginnings of our podcast. We talked about how important it was to know him, and again, here we are getting to know just this aspect a little deeper and a little better. And I think, Dave, as we do this and uh, this, and I'm. Inviting all of us to run this experiment in our own lives, but as we do this, as we come to know Him this way, and as we come to study and understand the cleansing effects of the blood of the Savior Jesus Christ in the atonement, His atonement as it was acted out, I think that as we begin to understand these things and see them symbolized, not just in the temple, but there's symbolism of this in life. Dave, as, you know, Abraham Five, you talked about it, but in Abraham Five, he talked about Actually, you talked about uh, Genesis Moses Five, it, Moses Five, but it, in Moses Five, they're making the covenant there. They talk about three things that are associated to the covenant, and those are water, blood, and spirit.
1: Yeah, that's really that's really about Adam. Yeah, Moses Five describes Adam and the and the sacrifice that he makes, and the three essential elements of salvation and redemption, which are blood water
0: and And spirit Spirit. and we see that in so much we begin life that way we begin life in the similitude of that covenant as we come through the water the blood and our spirit enters into our bodies we begin it there the uh, this the this is laid out for us in in our learnings through life throughout our life and everything that we do
1: Scott, blood is mentioned so many times in the scriptures, in the standard works. I I made a quick count, and there's almost 700 references to blood. Now, all of those aren't to the blood of Jesus. And
0: that was not a quick count if there were
1: 700. No, but but, uh, technology helps me. (laughs) Uh, Almost 400 in the Old Testament alone. Wow, yeah. 160, 50-something in the Book of Mormon. Anyway... It just runs throughout all the scriptures, the references to blood, as a symbol of, of life, as a symbol of cleansing and healing. So it's it's an important part of, uh, of the uh, doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many times in the scriptures we read something like this. This is Aaron teaching King Lamoni's father, Uh, And it reads, Now Aaron began to open the scriptures unto them. This is Alma chapter 21, verse 9. Aaron began to open the scriptures unto them concerning the coming of Christ and also concerning the resurrection of the dead, and that there could be no redemption for mankind, save it were through the death and sufferings of Christ and the atonement of his blood. Wow. We honestly that's that's in the scriptures dozens of times that the atonement was through by the the blood of Jesus Christ. And so many times in the scriptures, including the Book of Revelation and throughout the Book of Mormon, we read that the blood of Christ would cleanse us, not, not only redeem us, but would cleanse us here and now. That our garments, our bloody garments, the blood and sins of this generation could only be cleansed by the blood of Christ. I've, I've always found that to be so interesting Uh, How can bloody garments be cleaned or cleansed by blood?
0: Well, so you and I have a a little bit of insight into this, being both sons of dry cleaners. Maybe you can uh, enlighten (laughs) us with that.
1: (laughs) It's really interesting to me that blood cleanses blood, Scott. Yeah. Many years ago, and I was in college, my father owned the dry cleaners in Provo, and I was going to school there at BYU. And he taught me pretty early not to waste this certain chemical. And there was this bottle of blood remover. And he taught me the importance of uh, uh, my, of, well, he helped me to understand that the reason this was so expensive was because it was extracted uh, from blood that um, back in those days that would not have been easy to get the plasma, the proteins, the elements, the chemical elements that make up blood into this bottle, which was the chemical that we used to remove blood. So whenever I had bloody garments that I was trying to clean and spot before we ran it through the dry cleaning machine, I would, I would turn to this bottle. I wish I would have known then what I know now about what the scriptures teach that it takes blood. This, this is, this is a fact. This is a, a scientific fact, not just an incredibly great edifying uh, symbol. It takes Christ's blood to cleanse our blood and the sins of this generation.
0: That's right. And it's not just any blood. It has to be Christ's blood. It has to be Christ's blood. It can't be the animal sacrifice. It can't be any of that. It has to be Christ's blood. And so that blood had to go through, or had to be uh, go go through a process. Is probably not the uh, yeah. I think it did. I think that Christ had to go through that process to have that blood to that point where it would be the type of blood that can clean clean the sins and the blood of the world. Right, just like the blood in the bottle. And I had that same bottle on the same spotting board in dry cleaners in Salt Lake City. Where I was doing the same thing you were doing at approximately the same age, and had the <laughs> same directive by my dad, who was uh, your older brother, is your older brother, and, and uh, it, but that that blood or that it didn't look like blood; it wasn't red in that bottle. Right. It had been through a process, right. and it had been just like Jesus Christ's process, just like is was the only blood because of the process and the of the atonement of Jesus Christ that became available to us to cleanse the blood and sins of, of our worlds.
1: Yes, and Jesus makes it really clear to his disciples, even before the atonement and even before Gethsemane and and the cross and before he sheds all the blood that he sheds, in, in John chapter 6, when he is teaching his disciples and he says uh, then Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood ye have no life in you whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, get this, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Ultimately, Scott, this symbol, uh, this uh, sacrifice of blood is about a relationship. It's about a relationship. It's about becoming blood brothers and more, even more, so much more intimate than even that. Right, yeah. Him becoming our father, us taking upon ourselves his blood, taking it in ourselves, his blood dwelling in him and him dwelling in us, what we do in the sacrament is that we we do that every Sunday and we should contemplate what that means. Not only does the sacrament promise us that we'll have his spirit to be with us Mm -hmm. always, but we are taking in ourselves Christ that, that he, he dwells in us and we dwell in him. It all comes down to relationship and blood was certainly a symbol, powerful symbol of a relationship and a covenant. And, Therefore, I had an interesting discussion years ago, Scott, in a seminary faculty that I was on. And in this, in this seminary faculty, I don't know how it got to this, but during a lunch hour... During a lunch hour, we were talking about, <laughs> did Jesus really have to be crucified?
0: So this is what the uh, yeah, talk this, around the water yeah, cooler looks at what Institute. It is. I see. Okay.
1: Did, did, did Jesus really have to be? What if there would have been guns? Could he have been shot? Uh, why couldn't somebody just uh, knock him out, kill him, hit him over the head with a rock, uh, spear him, uh, shoot him with a bow and arrow? Why did he have to be crucified? I don't think we really as as I can't remember anybody in our faculty really pointing this out then like I understand it now it had to be bloody and Scott really this these events of Gethsemane the scourging the crucifixion there has never been more blood shed by anyone I, I believe he was bled out uh, literally out of every pore uh, that um, this this sacrifice this atonement uh, was about him giving all of his blood for all of us as a covenant that we could have him in us and us in him and return to our Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Home.
0: Well, so as we, we talk about the blood, we talk about the crucifixion, we talk about uh, Gethsemane and all of this, it seems to me, you know, Dave, the, the purpose behind what we're doing here is to help people understand our Heavenly Father's love for each of us through the atonement of Jesus Christ because it's through the atonement of Jesus Christ that all healing and all cleansing takes place which is what we're after because when I talk about healing and cleansing what I'm really talking about is removing the things from our life that are in not that are anything unlike celestial stuff we don't have Happiness, we don't have joy, we have trials, we have tribulation, we have all of these things that come up. And so, really, the purpose behind what we're talking about here, and we talk, we say it in our introduction, you know. Uh, hope, healing and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, that hope and healing through, comes through, through the blood, through the blood. That's right. And so everything needs to be cleansed. If we, if we have something going on in us that's not right, it needs to be cleansed. How is that cleansed? Well, we have just learned today that that's cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ that it, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ.: Blood cleanses
1: blood. Blood heals, blood nourishes, nourishes us. Blood strengthens us. I, I think, uh, Scott, we're coming near the end, I think, of this episode. And um, in the next episode, we'll continue to talk about the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ, uh, finishing up with Gethsemane and on to the mockery of a trial and the scourging and the crucifixion and all that goes with that. Uh, but I want to maybe uh, end my part of this by reading uh, just two verses from the book of Mormon in Alma chapter 34 verses 10 through 11 this is Amulek's amazing discourse on the infinite atonement a term that he uses four times in this chapter and he says this For it is expedient that there should be a great and last sacrifice yea Not a sacrifice of man, neither of beast, neither of any manner of fowl, for it shall not be a human sacrifice, but it must be an infinite and eternal sacrifice. This is verse 12. Therefore, there can be nothing which is short of an infinite atonement, which, which will suffice for the sins of the world. Um, infinite atonement, infinite sacrifice. I think, I think it means really four things when we speak of it being infinite, Scott. It means, first of all, that it must be a God. Only a God could offer this sacrifice. Only a blood of a God Could make this sacrifice. It's interesting, Scott, that in the Old Testament, lambs were used, um, sometimes other animals were used as a substitute for the blood of God, right? It was a symbol of the blood of Christ. It was used as a substitute, their blood, as a substitute for the blood of Christ, and that, that Israel would receive redemption and forgiveness through the blood as a, the blood of animals is a substitute for the blood of of God it's interesting that in the new testament jesus christ's blood is a substitute for the blood of the father the father of course no blood jesus christ as a substitute intermediary as a redeemer as a savior for his father representing his father sheds his blood for all of us, it, it, it took a God, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, to offer this blood sacrifice. That's the first point. The second point, it is infinite in time. It goes all the way back to our premortal existence. We've talked about how the atonement influenced us, uh, strengthened us, blessed us in the premortal existence, and will throughout eternity, I believe, will draw strength from the atonement and blood of, of Jesus Christ. So it's for all time. It's for all people. This is another unique part of the restoration. We believe the atonement of Jesus Christ, Scott, affects all of God's children that's ever been born on this earth, that the atonement of Jesus Christ unconditionally covers them, that uh, spiritual death, physical death, unconditionally for all mankind are is, uh, is overcome, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So, all people are affected by the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's for all people, and it covered all sins. All the sins of all mankind are covered, suffered for, the price is paid, a cost and punishment made to cover all of the sins of all mankind. So, this, this term, infinite atonement, Had to be a blood atonement of a god for... All of his children,
0: Dave. Would it be safe to say on number four, it covered not just the sins, but all the sins and infirmities, right? Everything, everything that's yes, not, thank you. It, everything thank you. that's not in its absolute perfected state. All it it doesn't matter what that is. Anything that's not in its absolute perfected state or godlike state—that's another synonym for that perfection. God uh, is anything that's not in its godlike state was covered. By the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and so what is that? That is everything. I mean, that's our. And we go back to this, and I keep saying these things because I think that so many times, and this has been my experience, as Deb and I are participating, my wife, my sweet wife, and I are participating in teaching an institute class for a young single adult group, and we're teaching uh, these very things or things very similar to this. I think that that's the thing that sometimes can get. Um, Lost in the shuffle here. We we understand how important this is for our sins. We understand that because we sin, that makes us unclean, and and because we're unclean, we not only can we not, are we uh, prohibited in entering into our heavenly Father's presence, but his but his Spirit can't be with us, or can be with us only limited uh, because of that as well. So we understand that. But be, the, the other infirmities that are so besetting, so so rough in life, and we've talked about some of those. But you know. Just just to name a few again, any kind of illness, sickness, mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, any kind of relationship struggles, any kind of worry and concern for a loved one, be that a child, a spouse, a friend, what have you, any kind of turmoil, even among societies. You know, what we see that happens in conflict across the world. All of that, the answer to all of that, because of the infinite nature of the atonement of Jesus Christ, all of that is covered under your number four point there.
1: Yes, we should, uh, we should be so grateful. And uh, as we come to an understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ, the events and the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, I know our gratitude, Scott, will... Will grow, and as our gratitude grows, our desires to have a relationship with Him increase. And I'm I'm looking forward to discussing uh, next week, uh, moving on, uh, finishing up Gethsemane, and moving on to the to the rest of the events of
0: the atonement. As thank you. I. Yeah, thank you. Great session today, Dave. This this uh, really touched me today as we were talking about a lot of this. Uh, Folks, I hope that uh, you have been equally edified as we've gone into just the most important things that we could possibly be talking about on a beautiful day today. But uh, as we get into this and as we start to continue, as we... As we continue down, not start to, but as we continue down this path of learning and experience, our invitation stands open to please let Heavenly Father's Spirit into your life to experience the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Anytime that any of us have anything in our life that feels like it's a little bit out of balance or maybe completely out of balance, the remedy is here. Completely here within the atonement of Jesus Christ. So uh, as we uh, go through the week, Notice where the atonement of Jesus Christ through his blood, notice where cleansing is happening currently in your life. Notice where healing is currently happening in your life. Remember to focus on the wins, focus on the things that are happening that are good. Pay some attention in, through personal inventory on the things that maybe need to be brought back to center. You know, we talk about, and we, we didn't spend a lot of time on this, but we will, about the justification of the atonement through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And as we think, Think about that justification. You know, when we make justification to a Word document or what have you, what that means is to bring back into perfect alignment. And so as the atonement of Jesus Christ, through His blood, brings us back into perfect alignment with our Heavenly Father's Spirit, may His peace abide with us this week and forever. Remember to send us your emails, your comments, your questions, your suggestions to us at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you next week, ladies and gentlemen. May God's spirit, may his peace be continually with you as we seek it through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Have a great week, everybody.